Yeah, week eight edition of the College Twelve Pack. Uh, as as always, with me, Tyler Natuno of LSU Tigers Wire. I'm the senior editor of the College Wires, Patrick Kahn. Tyler, this past weekend, it, it kind of seems like the last few weeks you have just like one clear game that you had to watch. The game this past weekend was Washington, Oregon. Did not disappoint at all. If you look at this game, came down to the wire, uh, and even even with Washington taking that lead late in the game, it was not a foregone conclusion that Washington was going to win that game. They needed a misfield goal there at the end by Oregon, uh, but really taking advantage of opportunities. Washington once again gets a three point win over Oregon as they did the year prior. A little bit different this time, you know. I think when you look at it at this game as a whole, and you kind of correct me if, if you felt this way, this game came down to Oregon making gambles on fourth down where they went 0-3. And, and I think you could really, you know, in oftentimes it's hard to point to one thing that, that kind of gives you a clear-cut winner. But I think when you look at it, it was the fourth down conversions or fail failure of fourth down conversions by that Oregon offense. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a fair assessment of the, of the game. You know, I think, I mean, first of all, just like you said, another marquee matchup, I feel like all the marquee games this year that we've been really excited about have really all lived up to the hype. Uh, This was another really good one. You know, both quarterbacks played really well. I thought both teams played really well. You know, either one could have easily won this game. And, you know, you pointed to the fourth down decisions and absolutely that was something that swung the game. Uh, but I think that Dan Lanning has taken a lot more uh, flack for those decisions than was deserved. So, like you said, he went over three on those. The first one was really the uh, the one that I think was questionable. And even he, after the game, says that he, he said he might have made the wrong decision there. You know, they, they were down four, down near the goal line, end of the first half. They go for it instead of kicking a field goal to cut it to one. Ultimately, those points probably would have been nice to have. But the other two... I have absolutely no qualms with at all. So, you know, the other one was uh, late in the third quarter. It's fourth and three at the eight. They're down 11. A touchdown there would have been huge. Fourth and three is really high percentage. Don't blame them at all for going for it there. And then the third one, uh, similar situation, fourth and three. This time, you know, at the Washington 47, you get a first down there. The game is over. You win the game. And if you get any of those three fourth downs, uh, I think you, you win the game. You know, so fourth down and three, like I said, that's a really high percentage play. The odds that you go 0 for 3 on those attempts is very unlikely. And like Dan Lanning said after the game, you know, the reason they went for it was because there was enough time left on the clock. Washington had been scoring on like half their drives. You know, Washington goes down and scores quickly. They still have a chance to go go win or tie the game, which is exactly what happened. And they did have a chance. They had a, a makeable field goal to send the game to overtime. It didn't work out. I mean, I I can't blame Dan Lanning for being aggressive in a game against an offense like this that's just so good um, and can score so quickly. You've got to be aggressive, and you've got to keep your offense on the field to make those plays. No issues with that, honestly, for me. No, I don't have an issue with them, uh, but I, I think the really is where the pendulum kind of swung back. Because if, if you look at, at what went on, Oregon had all the momentum. They were down 29-18 to 18 with 10-31 to go in that third quarter. You know, Oregon is able to get back-to-back scores uh, in late in the third, early in the fourth, take that 33-29 lead, knowing full well that, that Washington needs a touchdown, and you know you don't want to put that ball back uh, in the hands of Michael Penix, and, and unfortunately didn't go their way. 
But I think ultimately this, this was a great game. And much like the Texas-Oklahoma game from the week prior, I hope to see this rematch. This is the rematch I want to see for the Pac-12 title game in what could potentially be the final Pac-12 championship game ever, uh, given that the Pac-12 is now down to just two teams following the season. Uh, but really, when you look at it, you know, outside of Michael Penix, you really had to – I loved watching Jalen Polk and, and Romo Dunaze. I thought they were absolutely lethal in this game and kind of showed that the, there is a way to attack the Oregon defense. Obviously, they had lost some corners, which which hurt them. Uh, but, you know, kudos to Kalen, Kalen DeBoer and, and that offense for taking advantage of an opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you know, it – a lot of people have, you know, been comparing this to, you know, like the 2019 LSU offense and like, that's a bit premature still, but I mean, you can see, I mean, they can score absolutely at will. Michael Penix is a big play machine. These receivers are so good. Um, and they, and they did it against an Oregon defense. That's a, you know, a good defense the best they've played to this point by far, I think, um, you know, so really encouraging to me, I would say, for Washington. And I think what you said, I think there's a really good a good chance that we do see this one again. You know, I mean, we'll get into we'll get into USC, what happened there and, and, and you know, sort of the remaining stakes in this conference as we get further along in the show. But I think, yeah, I mean, right now, these easily look like the two most complete teams. You know, this could have easily gone the other way in Seattle, put it in a neutral site. I, I, it could go either way. You know, let's talk about USC uh, since you brought it up. USC got burned, and, and you know, I I've been alluding to this, and even during our preview show the week prior, uh, really looking at this game, I felt like USC had been playing with fire for the last few weeks, and I felt like this was the game. It just felt like Notre Dame at home hosting USC. They were finally going to be the team that beat USC and beat them convincingly. Uh, but if you look at that game, yes, Caleb Williams was sacked six times, three interceptions. You look uh, in the third quarter, they closed the gap to 11 points. It was 24 to 13. And then with the help of some kickoff returns, some fumble returns, USC was outscored 24 to seven down the stretch. And that is how they lose this game. 48 to 20 a game that wasn't close at all, just because of how that went down. Audrey, Estime was able to run the ball, got a couple of rushing touchdowns in this game. I just felt like there was nothing, you know, that USC could have done in this game. For the first time that I've seen this year, it was the USC offense that cost the Trojans a football game. And that's surprising to say when you give up 48 total points. Yeah, that's really the main point here, I think. You know, neither of us, I don't think we're surprised at the actual win loss result here. I mean, we both picked Notre Dame to win this game. You picked them to win it by 10 or more, uh, which easily hit. So I think we were both fairly confident in Notre Dame's chances, but I mean, if you had told me USC loses this game, I'd kind of assume it was, you know, in a shootout high scoring game where they're in it till the end. That's not how it played out at all. And if that had been what it was, it would have been a much easier pill to swallow because like you said, it really was the offense that cost you in this game. You know, Caleb, under pressure all night long uh, through three interceptions, all were in the first half. One was on the first drive, and it really just kind of put USC's back against the wall really early in this game. You know, Notre Dame was able to score quickly, you know, get taken advantage of opportunities, sometimes just spotting them the ball like inside the red zone, you know, and so they didn't really have to do a lot. I thought USC's defense actually like held up okay in this game, all things considered. I mean, Notre Dame didn't really have to do that much offensively, but there's not really anything you can do when – you know, your offense is just giving the ball away like that and setting them up for easy scores. You know, I think 
I just look at, I, I look at, you know, I think it's pretty clear now. Notre Dame has put forth a pretty obvious blueprint for slowing down Caleb Williams in this offense. You know, I think it's fair to question, you know, just kind of looking at the wider lens. I think this is maybe why I've had a little bit of hesitancy with sort of crowning Caleb Williams, like a generational, you know, NFL prospect with like this Patrick Mahomes kind of ceiling. He could be that guy, but we've seen, you know, he, he is not able to improvise when you put him under pressure that the way that Notre Dame did, he's going to have to improve in that regard if they're going to win games down the stretch this year. Yeah, if you've really watched games and you watch Caleb Williams, when he's been able to beat teams, it's on that three-man rush. And really, the defense of Notre Dame did a fantastic job putting four and five guys getting after him. And that's why he was sacked six times and why they were able to to get those three interceptions early. Uh, especially one of them gave, you, or gave Notre Dame the ball at the two-yard line. Just hand the ball off, boom, three seconds later, you got a touchdown, you got a score. And, and really, that... 17 point second quarter is really what set the stage for this game as, as Notre Dame was able to really just, you know, they didn't do a whole lot. Cause if you look at it, I mean, the USC defense held them to 250 yards of total offense. Uh, when you look at that kind of output, you don't expect 48 points. Obviously there were other things in there, hidden yardage that you look at. Uh, but ultimately Notre Dame did exactly what you have to do against USC and now it's going to be up to the offense to to really step it up. And unfortunately for them, they are not going to have an easy task this week, even in at home in L.A., and we'll get to that game a little bit later. Let's go to the ACC, and we had North Carolina, uh, and I'm going to call this the Tez Walker coming out party. Six receptions, 132 yards, three touchdowns. I think we see why Mac Brown in North Carolina was so pissed off that Tez Walker was initially ruled ineligible, but now that he is back, we see why North Carolina desperately wanted him on the field. Absolutely. I was, I was just about to say that basically verbatim, you know, we've never really seen a, a team in a, in a whole you know university go to bat for a single players like NCAA waiver case like this before pretty obvious now why that was the case. Tez Walker is a really, really good player. Um, and he, just elevates this offense so much an offense that was already really good uh, with Drake may and a lot of other weapons. So I think it, to me, this is a team that not a nearly enough people are talking about right now. I mean, they're undefeated. They've got Drake may who to me, I mean, well, if, if, if like Michael Penix were to, were to slip up or something like that, this is a guy that could easily slide into the Heisman conversation. I think he's a guy that could slide into the first overall pick conversation. We'll kind of, we'll, we'll talk about that as we progress with the season, but I mean, they're great offensively. Their defense is enough, I think. I'm not saying it's great, but they've improved from last year and they make enough plays when they need to. You know, they've more or less shut down a pretty good offense in South Carolina. They, you know, gave up some big plays to Miami, but a lot of that was kind of in garbage time as they were trying to come back and claw their way back in the game. I mean, it really just overall very encouraging performance for North Carolina, who I think could maybe be the, the ACC favorite outside of Florida State, could, could compete with them. Uh, you know, looking at Miami, they just didn't have enough defensively in this game. You know, I think they have a pretty good offense. And I think this team is still pretty good, but it really is showing how that Georgia Tech game could be potentially so costly for this team because they've still got tough games. They've still got to play Clemson this week. they got Florida State. they got Louisville. But if you don't have that Georgia Tech loss on your resume, this looks like a team that has a much bigger chance of, of making making some noise in the ACC than it does right now as, as things currently stand. 
Yeah, we were kind of waiting to see Miami in this kind of situation. How would they do? Because we saw what they did in the non-conference. They won easily as expected. But again, the Georgia Tech game um, and then losing this game, a game in which they led at halftime. And, you know, when I look at a team and I look at how teams perform, I look at the middle two quarters. Can you win the second and third quarter? Miami won the second quarter. North Carolina won the third quarter, especially with those back-to-back touchdowns of 56, 33 yards to Tez Walker. Build that lead up to 38, uh, 35-17. And really, that was enough for Miami to win this football game. Obviously, they score a couple more, uh, kick a couple field goals, get that up to 41, uh, win a game by 10 points. And, and I really look at that third quarter uh, in my notes. That's what I circled. Third quarter won this football game. Uh, for North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, no, no doubt about that. Like, you, you get up big, um, and that's kind of what just the the benefit of having a guy like Drake May, you know, can do for you. He can spot you some quick points like that. You know, even when you have a defense that's maybe susceptible to giving up some big plays, you've built yourself a nice cushion there. And that's what I think makes this North Carolina team interesting. And I think, you know, even what makes me interested about a potential, you know, matchup with like Florida State in the AC Championship or something is, is I think – they're explosive in a way that I'm not sure even like Florida state is honestly um, the way they can score quickly. It's really interesting. I'm very fascinated by this North Carolina team. One team that was fascinating going into this weekend in the ACC was Louisville. Uh, But Holy crap, they fell through the trap. (laughs) Uh, Pitt set the trap, Uh, a one in four football team going into this game. Uh, If, if, if you were to take the records out and you were to tell me one team was two and four or would be two and four after this game, the other one would be five and one. I would have assumed that you were referring to Pitt being the five and one team, uh, just the way that they played in this game. The turnovers, five fumbles, four lost by by the Cardinals. Uh, you also had Jack Plummer who threw two interceptions, sacked four times, pick six in this game that kind of really put this game away late uh, for for Pitt, but. Man, that they really fell for it in this game. Yeah, you know, look, Pitt, Pitt's good for one of these every year, it seems. They're good for at least, you know, getting one win where they punch well above their weight class. Uh, unfortunately for Louisville, that happened to them this year and spoiled their 6-0 start. Um, you know, I would say, you know, I will say on the Pitt side, you know, made a quarterback change in this game. Christian Veyer, uh, a guy from actually French-Canadian from Ontario, uh, from Ottawa. He got the start in this game over Phil Dracovich. Not incredible, but looked a lot better. You know, I think this is a pretty clear upgrade and maybe could raise this team ceiling down the stretch. Not really sure why this wasn't a move Pitt made sooner uh, with the struggles they've had under center so far this season, but that one seemed to have worked against a, a Louisville defense that is coming off a really good game against Notre Dame. Um, you know, like you said, Jack Plummer had the two interceptions. He threw for 350 yards. Uh, it was 29 to 52. I just, I'm honestly not sure if Jack Plummer is the answer here. You know, he's a guy that's been around college football for a while. Uh, got a little bit of starting action at Purdue. Was mostly a backup. Followed Jeff Brom here. I think he's 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 done the job uh, in year one. I don't know if he's uh, the answer here, though. I think I think that's going to be a bit of a limiting factor for them uh, moving forward. I'm going to go back to my point I made about North Carolina. Louisville lost this game in the third quarter when they were outscored 17 to nothing. That was also the difference in the game, 38-21, 17 points. That's where they lost this football game. 
and, and, and a Louisville offense that's had no problem scoring this year. Didn't score at all in the second half. Um, you know, it'll be not exactly back to the drawing board, but this is almost like burn this game tape. Uh, because the reason why you lost this game was six turnovers and no scoring in the second half. Uh, another team that fell flat on their face in this game was Washington State to Arizona. And now Arizona, and we've had these conversations off air, I think Arizona is a sneaky team. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. I think this team finds a way, and if you look at Washington State, uh, they score right off the bat, 6 nothing, missed the field goal. Um, I believe it was field goal. Uh, and, and then they're outscored 44 to nothing down the stretch. This looked like a typical air raid Mike Leach type offense because they had absolutely no running game. And the running game for Arizona ran for five touchdowns, 174 yards, controlled this game from the jump. And uh, I was actually shocked when I saw the final score in this one. Went back and watched the game, and uh, it was absolutely ugly. Yeah, I mean, it seems like every week there's like at least one game that I'm like not really paying attention to and then just see a score and text you like, what? What's going on here? This was the one, this was that game this week. Uh, yeah, I mean, fully agree. Arizona's been a plucky team this year. I mean, they're four and three, so the record doesn't exactly reflect it. But I mean, they took USC to multiple overtimes. They gave Washington all they could handle. Um, and now they finally kind of got that, that big breakthrough win uh, in absolutely dominant fashion. I don't think anyone saw this one coming, but I mean, this is a dangerous team. You know, Noah Fafita, the quarterback, he's actually the backup has been playing the last few weeks. Honestly, I mean, might be an upgrade over Jaden Delora. He's played really, really well uh, in Delora's absence while he's been injured. So, I, I mean, I think, I don't know if there's been, I don't know if there's a single coach uh, in college football right now who gets less, is getting less credit for the job he's doing than Jed Fish. You know, when he took over this job, it was, a lot of people thought it was maybe the most hopeless job uh, in the Pac-12 at the time. I mean, in, in the, sorry, in the entire Power Five at the time. You know, it was a really bad roster situation that, that had been left by Kevin Sumlin. This was a tough, a tough situation. He's very quickly turned it around and made them at the very least competitive uh, with the top class of this league. I don't think they're that far away from maybe being uh, in that mix themselves. I will tell you this right now. I will not be surprised if Jed Fish is the Pac-12 coach of the year by the season's end, uh, especially when you look after the bye week, which they have this weekend. They go to – they're going to be – they host Oregon State. They host UCLA. They go to Colorado. They host Utah. So all their toughest games are going to be at home, and then obviously they finish the season at Arizona State uh, in Tempe. Uh, when you look at the, they have an opportunity. They play three ranked teams all at home. Um, they win those football games, and you have to feel really good about Arizona going into the Big Twelve next year. Uh, I, I think they really looked they they looked a lot better. Like you said, we saw what they did to Washington State. Um, you know, they played close. Uh, really slowed down that Washington offense. Panics had no passing touchdowns in that game. We saw what they did with Stanford, who had that miracle comeback against Colorado a loss to Mississippi state who looks, looks better than they did early on. So, like I said, I, I think, you know, Jed fish right now would probably get my vote based on what I think he's going to do and whatever, what I think Arizona is going to do the rest of the season. Uh, but you really, I have a lot of questions for Washington state right now. Uh, things are not looking good uh, based on just how they performed the last few weeks and, now I have a lot more questions than I did uh, go before this week. 
Yeah, I think that was a team that it looked like earlier in the year could maybe be like kind of the dark horse to crash that party. Now it's looking like that team is Oregon State, who Washington State actually managed to beat a few weeks ago. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we saw a really hot start to the year for Cam Ward, a guy who was sort of up and down last year after transferring up from the FCS to the Power Five. You know, that's obviously a, a significant leap. He, he was a lot better to start this season, but we've really seen these last couple of weeks. Uh, he, he has struggled. He has not been nearly as as uh, as productive, and I think that's really hurt this team. So, yeah, I mean, I you know, a team that I think we thought could really do something kind of special this year now looking like it's maybe going to fall more closer toward the middle of the pack in that league. Yeah, they have to go to Oregon next this coming weekend, and then obviously they're going to end the season – in Seattle, in the Apple Cup, uh, not looking great uh, for Dykert and company uh, when it comes to the Pac-12. All right, so we've talked about the games this past weekend, the ones that we really wanted to focus on. Now let's talk about the games coming up this weekend. And it, it begins and ends with that Big East, or I'm sorry, Big Ten <laughs> East battle. Not Big East, that's no longer a thing. Uh, Penn State, Ohio State. Uh, I think this is a game that we've all been waiting on for the simple fact that I haven't really seen either team really show me what they are. Who are you in the grand scheme of things? Ohio State, they looked a little bit better. You know, I I was a guy that thought maybe the spoiler makers would do it again. Uh, The Buckeyes had no trouble with them. And then obviously – Penn State's coming off a, a game against UMass, sixty-three to nothing. Nobody expected that game to be close. Uh, but when it comes to this matchup, this really could determine who is going to be the biggest challenge for Michigan uh, to represent the East in the Big Ten Championship and likely get a spot in the college football playoffs. Yeah, I think I think just in general, it's really hard to uh, sort of gauge separation between these Big Ten East teams at this exact moment, just because especially with uh, Michigan and Penn State, they really just haven't been tested at all. You know, Ohio State did have that big road win over Notre Dame, which I think we might have thought that was a great Notre Dame team at the time. I think now I think it's maybe just a a pretty good one, but still a good win on the road, by far the most impressive win of any of those three teams. I still think we have some questions about this Ohio State team, though, and I think we're going to have a lot of answers about both of these squads after this week. We're going to have a much better idea of that kind of the Big Ten East uh, pecking order. You know, I think it's going to be far and away the biggest test that Drew Allar and this Penn State offense have faced. You know, an Ohio State defense that I think we're both pretty high on, uh, given the way they've played, especially when they've played Notre Dame. You know, it's going to be tough. I think I think that Penn State offensively has been pretty good this year. I don't think it's necessarily taken the leap that some people hoped it might with a guy with Drew Aller's talent uh, so far. We haven't really seen them sort of have to win a game, you know, with, with a big time offensive performance yet. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that challenge of the Ohio state defense. I mean, I think to me, looking at this game, it's going to really come down to, I think Kyle McCord, I think he hasn't been asked to do a ton so far. The one time he was, he led the game winning touchdown drive against Notre Dame. I think he's going to have to have more of that in this game though. I think it's going to take more than just one big time drive to win this game. I think he's going to, have to win this game uh, through the air against a well-rounded Penn State team that's a a good team defensively. So I I think I'm really interested. I'd probably lean toward Ohio State as we sit right now. Um, You know, it's in uh, Columbus. It's, you know, they're, I think, the more talented team overall, but really interesting matchup that I don't exactly know what to make of right now. Yeah, you look at this 
BetMGM has this as a four and a half point spread in favor of the home team. Uh, I I don't know. I might lean towards Penn State plus four and a half, but I think this might be a three point game. And I, and ultimately, I know you talked about Kyle McCord, but I, to me, I think it's which defense gets the big stop uh, late in that game. I, I think it's going to come down to a final drive and which defense can make a play. Um, you know, the over under 40, 45 and a half. So not expecting a huge score in this game. I think this might come down to like a 20 to 17 type. Yeah. It might be similar to, to what we saw with Notre Dame with that's with the final score there. So when I look at this game, I think Penn state's going to keep it close, but ultimately I'm going to lean towards the Buckeyes because they are the home team and winning in the horseshoe is not an easy task. Uh, I don't care how talented your team is. It, it is tough to win there. That's why I'm leaning towards the Buckeyes this week. Uh, we have another game that's kind of a retribution game. We're going to go out to the SEC. We have Tennessee versus Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Obviously, Tennessee was able to get this win last year in Knoxville. Uh, you know, an Alabama team that's looked good, looked shaky, not real sure what to make of them. But here's my big thing. I have a lot of questions about Tennessee. Going into the season, I thought Josh Heupel's offense might be plug and play, but after watching Milton and some of these offensive weapons that they have for the balls, I am not so sure that they have the offensive firepower that can actually outscore this talented Alabama defense. No, I mean, I, I won't bury the lead too much here. I'm not very optimistic about Tennessee's chances in this game. Um mostly because I really don't think that the formula that led to them winning last year in Knoxville, uh, I don't think that formula exists anymore. I don't think they can win this game that way. You know, they're not going to score 48 points or whatever they did last year on this defense. That's just not going to happen. Uh, Alabama's too good. Tennessee's offense has taken too much of a step back and Alabama's defense, I think has taken a tremendous step forward um, from what really wasn't that great of a defense last year. I mean, they gave up a lot of points in their losses to Tennessee and LSU. So, uh, I think they, they've improved a lot in that regard. I will say the one thing that kind of gives me pause is I think Tennessee is actually a pretty good team defensively. I think they've played really well. You know, I look at, you know, shutting down a pretty explosive South Carolina team a couple weeks ago. You know, I, I think I think this defense has really shown some signs of promise. I played really well against Texas A&M last week. So that could maybe keep this game close. You know, I think this is probably looking like it's going to be a low scoring game, lowish scoring game. I don't think Alabama is really built to blow anyone out. You know, as we saw last week, they kind of jumped out to a 21 to six lead over Arkansas before sort of putting things on autopilot uh, and almost, almost, uh, you know, surrendered that game. So I think, I don't think Alabama is really built to, to absolutely demolish anyone uh, that's, that's even close to their weight class this year. So that's kind of the one thing that I've got maybe keeping it close for Tennessee, but I don't think this offense is nearly explosive enough uh, to score, you know, consistently on Alabama. So to me, I'm just going, I'm just going with it. This is my lock of the week uh, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama gets their revenge. Tennessee has not won in Tuscaloosa since 2003. That game ended in a 51 to 43 final score. That's not happening this time. I think we might see a game that's a little similar to what happened in 2015, a 19 to 14 type game. I definitely could see that. Will Reichert, I think he's going to be the big star in this game, uh, kicking field goals, uh, putting this game away. I'm not to say that they're not going to score touchdowns, but I think Will Reichert's going to be the difference in this game. So I'm going to lean. I'm not going to say lock of the week. I'm going to allow you to have this one. Uh, but I definitely do see Alabama winning this football game. 
um, who who looked like right now that game against LSU coming up in early November, I think will be the deciding factor of who is going to represent the SEC West in the SEC championship game to likely face Georgia. Uh, so I am going to roll with the tide, pun intended there. All right, let's go back to the ACC. Another team that's kind of in the last two years have really jumped up there. We have Florida State hosting Duke. Now, my prediction in this game really boils down to one thing, uh, and I think yeah, I think you know where I'm going here, Tyler. Is Riley Leonard going to play this game? Because if he's not, I think Florida State wins big. Interesting. That's actually interesting. I'm not. You know, I don't know if I uh, if I am of the same opinion on that on that one. So. Yeah, he's questionable in this game. They're being kind of murky about his status. Uh, you know, he suffered a high ankle sprain three weeks ago. So, you know, even if he did play, he's probably not going to be at 100%. And I don't know if you want to play Riley Leonard if he's not at 100% because of how much uh, his mobility is important to the way he, you know, is successful for that Duke offense. I think if his mobility is limited – he might not be your best chance to win. You know, they could, I could see them stick with uh, Henry Bell on the fourth. who got the start last week, a little shaky in the passing game, hit some big plays, uh, made some plays with his legs. I think he's kind of just a light version of what this offense is with Riley Leonard. Uh, you know, I think Florida state is playing better right now. They've been, you know, they have kind of had a, a pair of sluggish games with the way they played against BC and then against Clemson coming off a really big win over uh, Syracuse. And then beat Virginia Tech the prior week pretty comfortably too. You know, I I have questions about the defense for FSU. You know, I think that they kind of allowed a Clemson offense that I'm not incredibly fired up about, at least in terms of skill position talent, uh, to make some big plays on them, which kind of gives me some pause. I think that, you know, they will be able to make big plays against Duke. You know, this is a Duke secondary that I think has been really good, but they haven't had to face anything like Keon Coleman or Johnny Wilson, who didn't play last week, expected to play this week. I I mean, my gut kind of tells me Florida State's going to win this game, especially if Riley Leonard doesn't play. I I just can't, you know, I kind of just have a feeling, and I'm going to go with my bold prediction here, which is that Duke actually wins this game, uh, Riley Leonard or not. I am going to say bold prediction as well. Uh, Keon Coleman goes for three touchdowns in this game. Florida State rolls them. I think they win this game by at least two touchdowns. Uh, I think Riley this is the Leonard. first time. Sorry. Yeah, I was just saying, I think this is the first time we've had our bold predictions be like dueling. Like like neither of like only one of us can get it right. 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 Only one of us. <laughs> you know, it's like Highlander. You know, uh, there can be only one. Uh, but uh, that's an old school reference for some of you. Some of you might get that. Uh, but yeah, when I when I look at this game, I just I, I kind of and, and this is funny because Florida State. I don't know what to expect week to week, so I'm just hoping this is the good Florida State week. But just the way Keon Coleman is playing, and like you said, I don't think Duke's really been tested uh, with that big play wide receiver because obviously their one loss of the year came against Notre Dame, who as we've seen don't have really a big time high-flying offense, uh, it's they primarily went off defense, running the football, ball control offense. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just felt like Keon Coleman's going to have a huge game this, this week, so that's why I'm rolling with them. Now another team that, uh, you know, it, it needs to have a statement win is USC going up against Utah. It is in L.A., but as we've known, especially the last couple of years, 
Utah has given USC absolute fits. Yeah, you know, Utah won this game twice last year, uh, including, you know, they won it, you know, they won the big one, the big emotional one in Salt Lake City, and then uh, beat them again in the Pac-12 championship. So they kind of have had their number uh, in recent years. With that being said, I, I really am not that optimistic about Utah's chances in this game uh, if Cam Rising doesn't suit up again, which just it, it seems like that is just going to be a week-to-week thing potentially all season. You know, I, I think there was some pretty unfair speculation earlier in the year about whether Rising was healthy and voluntarily not playing. Like, he went out and, and, and made it clear, like, it wasn't just a torn ACL. He tore like his ACL, his MCL, his meniscus. It was a really nasty knee injury um, that happened in January too, that people are forgetting. It was not that long ago. So he is still clearly not uh, not at 100%, not ready to play. And you know, I just don't think what they've done with Bryson Barnes and Nate Johnson has been really that scary. You know, I think I, I don't expect USC's defense to have significant issues in this game, especially because I do think they are playing better. I think they've showed signs of improvement over the last couple of weeks. I, you know, the one thing that is interesting to me about this Utah team is their defense, you know, having watched them play Florida the last couple of years. The one thing I know about this group is that, you know, it might not be loaded with, you know, future NFL guys like, a, you know, an SEC defense would be, but they play really, you know, fundamentally sound football, good assignment football. They're always in position. And like I mentioned earlier, Notre Dame has now given this team a really well-coached defense, a very nice blueprint for, you know, potentially how you can slow Caleb Williams down. Whether Utah can take advantage of that, we'll see. I'm still not sure that even if they do, they'll have enough on offense to uh, to win this game. I'm not sure I see Caleb Williams gifting them, you know, 21 points worth of interceptions again. Uh, but, you know, so that's kind of why I, I lean USC in this game, barring, you know, a surprising Cam Rising return. You know, even with Cam Rising return, I don't know how much that's going to play into this game. Um, you know, I, I there's not going to be a lack of motivation on the USC side when it comes to this game. A team that's beaten them three years in a row or three or two years in a row, but three times. And really, when you look at this game, because of Utah, I mean, I think fundamentally sound, probably well coached. I still don't think that they are going to be able to stop this USC team, uh, especially after what what they just went through with Notre Dame. Highly motivated team. Uh, Lock of the week, Caleb Williams is having a monster game. I'm rolling with USC by two touchdowns in this game. Utah just doesn't have enough. I don't think they have enough defensively or offensively to keep this game close. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't think there's going to be any shortage of motivation on the USC side, you know, with the way this game has gone uh, the last couple of years with, you know, the way that Caleb Williams played this past week at home. I-, I really think this is a good opportunity for a bounce back for USC. I, I agree. I don't I don't think they have the same struggles that they had uh, in the two games last year. And according to BetMGM, the underranked, I guess you could say, the lower-ranked USC is actually a touchdown favorite in this game. So for my lock of the week, give me USC uh, with that minus seven. And I think they cover that pretty pretty easily uh, in this game. Now, the last game that we're going to talk about before we get into some other topics is the Michigan-Michigan State matchup. Now, I know this game is not exactly a sexy pick when you talk about games. Uh But, you know, Michigan has something to prove. They've lost this game in recent years, and, you know, they're on their way trying to get back to the college football playoffs for the third year in a row. 
BetMGM has this as a 24-and-a-half-point spread, and I think that they cover that easily. Uh, I jokingly said 63 to nothing, but based on what I've seen from this Michigan State offense, that might not be a joke. Uh, yeah, not a sexy game is certainly one way to put it. Uh, that's a bit of an understatement. I probably will not watch a single second of this game live, if I'm being honest with you. Um, you know, I, I, the only real intrigue here uh, is kind of the emotional element of, you know, the incident last year uh, in the tunnel. Certainly going to be a chippy game, I would think. You know, I think Michigan State certainly a team that feels like it has something to prove with everything going on there and, and the way they've played on the field this year. I don't see it, though. Uh, Michigan is really, really good. And if there's one thing that they are absolutely just uh, unquestionably good at, it's taking it to teams that they're a lot more talented than. Um, they've played a lot of those kind of games this year. None of them have been at all, you know, close or concerning. Uh, the rivalry element here is not going to be enough to swing that at all. Michigan's going to win this game, no problem. Would you say the spread was 24? 24 and a half. 24, yeah, they'll cover that. Probably with 20 points to spare, 20, 15 to 20 points to spare. And at the same time of this kickoff is another game that you might be a little more interested in, Florida State, Duke, or, hey, maybe the team that you cover each and every week. You have LSU Army, which LSU is favored by 31 and a half. I don't know that anybody's really going to be worried about that game. But if I had my pick, Florida State, Duke is going to be the game that I'm watching because um, – even though there's a 13-and-a-half-point spread in this game, I'm still going to be interested to see how that plays out. All right, so the final two topics are going to be a, with a Washington lean. We're putting on our purple and gold glasses here, Tyler. Michael Penix Jr., is he the Heisman frontrunner at this point? Absolutely. Um, absolutely he is. I think he has been uh, for the last three or four weeks. I think it's been pretty obvious to me. I think winning this game all but solidified uh, that position for him. You know, you look where he ranks statistically, you know, in passing, he, you know, he's second in yards uh, behind Shador, who Shador, by the way, has played one more game and he's not that far behind him. He's fourth in touchdowns. He's fourth in quarterback rating. I mean, when you compare, you know, the, the passing production between Michael Penix and guys, you know, who, who have played, you know, similar, like in terms of efficiency and, and uh, you know, number of games they've played the only parallels for Penix really to me are Caleb Williams who I think probably was unlikely to win it again anyway I think last week really uh you know put a damper on his hopes and Jaden Daniels who I'm a little biased in that regard because I watch a ton of that guy play football uh he might be the best quarterback in the country in terms of as a college quarterback he might be the best quarterback in the country so you know, we'll see. He's on a two-loss team that doesn't seem to be in the CFP race, and that seems to be a pretty big element of who gets that sort of Heisman rub. So I think uh, I think right now, absolutely, it's Penix. I think if he continues at this pace, if he doesn't have a game where it all kind of falls apart, if they're in the playoff, uh, absolutely, he will be on that stage in New York, and it's probably his trophy to lose at this point. Well, if we're going by the bet MGM odds, the best odds that Minus 145, Michael Penix Jr. Uh, J.J. McCarthy and Dylan Gabriel, uh, plus 1,000. Jordan Travis and Jaden Daniels, plus 1,300. Drake May, plus 1,400. And in a wide gap, because Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Carson Beck, all checking in at plus 3,000. So it's not even looking good for Caleb Williams at this time. you know. But I think if, if you look at it right now, and if I had to pick two guys, 
to battle this out right now. I think it's Michael Penix Jr. and Jaden Daniels. You know, you brought up a two-loss team uh, not winning. Maybe this is Johnny Manziel 2.0 where they have a competitive team. They're not going to be playing for a national championship, not going to be likely playing in the college football playoff. But Jaden Daniels might be a guy you just cannot ignore because of what he's doing, uh, especially if you look at the comparison of the numbers. He and Michael Penix Jr. aren't too far off. They're both averaging well over 320 yards per game. You look at that touchdown to interception radio, Michael Penix 20 and 3, Jane Daniels 22 and 3. But let's not forget, Jane Daniels is probably a lot better runner. He probably takes some unneeded risk, as you would know. But, uh, but uh, definitely when you look at it as a whole, Jane Daniels, I think, should be right up there. Uh, but yes, Michael Penix Jr. is the clear cut favorite in the Heisman race. All right. So. I said we were going to be keeping those glasses on, those purple and gold glasses. Is Washington the best shot in this college football playoffs for the Pac-12? Yeah, probably. I mean, sure. Like right now, they're the the. I mean, they're they're undefeated. You know, they're the only undefeated team um, in that mix. So sure, they uh, they have the best shot at this exact moment. You know, um, I, I think. Obviously, when you look at the rest of the schedule for Oregon, you know, still got, you know, Washington State, still got USC, still got uh, Oregon State. So there's some tricky games in there. I think I think Oregon has a pretty good chance of winning out, to be honest with you. Um, And, you know, if they do that, while Washington will have the head to head, we would probably in all likelihood then see them play again with the winner of that game, uh, probably in the playoff, assuming they're both enter with one loss or or fewer. So I think that uh, that. Washington is the safest bet, obviously going to be some tough games down the stretch. I mean, as of right now, USC still hasn't lost a Pac-12 game. So you can't discount them in that race, especially if they go out and kind of get their revenge against Utah this week. I think the bigger problem I have is if you look at that USC schedule down the stretch, it is absolutely brutal. And I have a hard time believing they don't drop at least one game in there. And they have games against Washington and Oregon. So, you know, if they drop one or both of those, they'll have head-to-head tiebreakers to deal with. So I don't love USC's odds just because of what's left on the schedule. I think Washington has clearly the best odds, but again, they'll probably have to beat this Oregon team again if they want to get to the playoff. I am probably going to say they are the safest bet um, when you look at everything involved. Now, the question is who else would be in the playoff um, you know, there's the potential for an Oregon or a USC team, like you said, who hasn't actually lost the game uh, in the Pac-12. But I think we both agree it's Michigan, it's Georgia, and then really that three and four spot right now between Washington, Ohio State, Florida State up to grab. So That's I really Oklahoma. do think. Sorry, I say Oklahoma's in that mix too. Yeah, yeah, I was going to get to them as well. I said you also have Oklahoma, uh, Texas, who. Their only losses to Oklahoma, and it was it was a uh, uh, last minute victory. But I mean, there's there's a lot more, and really, I think when you look at like resumes, Texas has a win over Alabama in Tuscaloosa that will be weighed heavily. So there are some opportunities there. So I think really, when you look at the Pac-12, it almost feels like you need a spotless record to get into the college football playoff. I don't know if I agree with spotless. I think I think one loss champion would do it this year uh, with the kind of 
with with the way that you know USC and Oregon and and uh, Washington and Oregon State, the way, the way those teams are all perceived nationally, I think is a lot different than the way that Pac-12 teams have been perceived nationally uh, in in the recent past. So I don't know if I feel like they need to run the table. I think one loss would do it. But you're right. I mean, the margin for error is not that big because odds are that a one-loss conference champion is going to get left out. Or maybe not a one-loss conference champion, but a one-loss team will probably get left out of the playoffs. Let me, things are shaping up. So Let me re-clarify my statement by spotless. I'm more meaning like you can't fall for the trap door in a mm, loss. Like okay, if you I lose – Lose, you can't pull a Louisville and lose to Pitt, right? Mm, in, okay. in the manner that they lost. Like so I, you're I think saying, the like, you're saying like loss. Oregon can't slip up to like Washington State or something like that. Or like, right, right. Or, I, I think yeah. when you look at it, the quality of loss will matter. Uh, you know, I, I think especially with how talented and how packed the Pac-12 is this year, uh, I, I definitely think there is margin for error, but it is slim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's totally fair. I think less margin for error than say Georgia's going to have, or say Ohio state's going to have, or even maybe Oklahoma or Texas. So I, I think absolutely you're right in that regard. I think a one loss champion would do it though. I think if USC runs the table, they'd be in, I think if Washington, even if they slip up, if they win the uh, PAC 12 at this point, they'd probably get in depending on who that loss is to and how it comes. So but yeah, I think I think you're right though. The margin fair in the Pac-12 not insanely significant, but I would say Washington right now is the the team with by far the path of least resistance. Yep, I think we are in agreement with that. Uh, but unfortunately, that is going to do it for this week's edition of the College Swell Pack. Make sure you're checking out Tyler's work, LSU Tigers Wire.usatoday.com. You can find all my work on College Sports Wire.usatoday.com. Also, make sure you check us out on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. Well, for Tyler and Patrick, we'll see you next week.